But I wanted to do something before I get started today. I wanted to just say something to you about this, and I hope that you can do it. How many of you are on Facebook? Raise your hands. Let me see. Okay, so there's some of you that are on Facebook. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's any other multimedia um, places that you that you frequent or that you're on, but um, <clears throat> there's a theme that 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 trends on Facebook around Thanksgiving time. It's called the the 30 days of thank, thankfulness. 30 days of thankfulness, and each each day throughout the month of of November, participants post one thing that they're thankful for. And for 30 days, we witnessed to the world of Facebook about the blessings that God has put in our lives. And often they're about relationships with, with the Lord himself and, and with our family. And so what a great way to share God's blessing and, and his wonders. And so what I want to encourage you to do, you don't have to, but I'm just going to encourage you to do it, is to take time each day to write something that you're thankful for. And then to write something briefly as to why you're thankful for that. And um, it'll be interesting to, to be able to see if, if you're able to do that and, and what you have to say as far as what you're thankful for. How many of you think that you could come up with 30 different things that you're thankful for? Okay. So now you raise your hand so there's no excuse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but seriously, I, you know, I would like to encourage you to do that. And I didn't run this by the elders, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But I, when it comes Christmas time, I want to have one Sunday in there where we do an ugly sweater thing, where you have to wear your, where you have to wear your ugliest Christmas sweater to church. <laughs> I'm telling you what, there are some really ugly sweaters out there. So I don't think you, I don't think you'll have a hard time finding an ugly sweater for Christmas. So. We'll, we'll get, we'll get, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. <laughs> but, um, this morning I want to talk about, um, moments of divine encounters. This is the third part. Um, and we're looking at John chapter three and we're going to look at a, um, John chapter 19 as well. But a divine encounter is a, is a moment in time when a few things happen. Number one, uh, you encounter the Lord in some way, whether it's you encounter God, you encounter Jesus, you encounter the Holy Spirit. Number two, you come across a, a person or a group of people that is significant in God's purpose for you. It could be a church, it could be a Bible study, it could be a, a some type of a small group, whatever it is. And then the third thing is, it's a, a circumstance takes place that you realize has been set up by the Holy Spirit. You know, one of those things I always pray for my children. You know, I, I, we have a couple of our children that are not really walking with the Lord, and I pray every day that God's Holy Spirit would convict them in some way. And I think that that's, a, that's that divine encounter. You know, it literally is like what Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote about in one of his songs, A Miracle of the Moment. And so there, there are several characteristics that we shared last week. I'm going to share them again about a divine encounter. Number one, it takes place in a vulnerable moment. You know, it, it, it often happens when we are at the end of our own capabilities and we can't do anymore. And, and so that, that's why we know that we need to give God the blessing because it's only by His power and His strength that we are even able to make it through that. 
Number two, a divine encounter often turns your distress into worship. And I talked about that last week too, in the last couple of weeks, the, the fact that, you know, as God interrupts the darkness with his glory, what happens is, is that our heart will turn to him and worship. And it's not just the worship up here on stage, you know, and, and what we do here in the church service. It's worship is your spiritual worship that, that you spend time with the Lord throughout the week, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe your devotional time is, is praying, it's singing, you know, and, and, and it's reading and it's, it's spending time. It's, it's doing a devotion. Maybe it's online where you're looking at someone who's giving you some spiritual advice or anything like that. Number three, at, at, at the divine encounter, God reveals his grace to you. And he says from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I have a hope and I have a plan for you. I have a future. I have that future. That future's for you. Number four, at the divine encounter, your fears meet God's favor. Your fears meet God's favor instead of shaming you. Instead of shaming you because of your sin, God says, I have chosen you. I choose you. And God will always be present in our pain. And then the last one is this. In a divine encounter, everything changes. Everything changes. In the midst of our problems, our pain, even in our our times of joy, God reassures us of our identity. He reassures us of our purpose. We all have a purpose in this life. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Let me tell you, I am a child of God's. And this, folks, this changes everything. It changes everything for us. You know, I'm sure that, that, that you know and I'm sure that you believe that Jesus is the world's most preeminent person. I, I am positive that you would believe that. You know, he, he, he looms so large over human history that we actually measure time by him. We do. You know, we, we date our letters, we, our birth certificates, our checks, and everything else from the year of his birth. You know, it, it's 2022. It's been, it's been 20, 2022 years since, since Jesus came into our world. And today there, there is no other name in heaven or on earth that is more loved, more revered, and more controversial than, than the name of Jesus. And at a glance, Jesus's resume was really kind of a simple resume. I mean, if you think about it, he, he never traveled more than a, a few hundred miles from his hometown. Never did. He, he, he never wrote a book. Well, except the Bible, if you want to count that. I mean, I guess that, that's... But, you know, he never sat down and write, wrote a book. Uh, never held a political office. He was never married. He never went to college. You know, he never visited a big city. And he, he never won a poker tournament. And you know, which, which he could have, because even in the, with the best poker face, there's no way in the world, he would still know your cards, so there's no way in the world that you'd be able to beat him. He would know your hand every time. 
Yet everywhere Jesus went, what happened was this. He left changed lives in his wake. He changed everybody's life. So today, we conclude with our third character who met Jesus and was completely changed. You know, like I said earlier, you know, we will do uh, three more lives that were changed by Jesus sometime next year. But, you know, there is no doubt that, that each of these lives were changed forever because they came in contact with this, this one incredible person. The, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the, the Savior of the world, this, this man named Jesus Christ, they came in contact with this one incredible person and he changed everything. So looking at these lives gives us hope because I want to tell you something. I know I have found myself in some of the same situations that, that these folks that we've talked about the last two weeks you know, we may, we may be caught in the, the, the grip of bad choices or, or living in the, in the backwash of failure. How many of you here can, you don't need to raise your hands, but I, how many of you here could raise your hand to say there have been times when I have felt like a total failure? <laughs> you, didn't need to, you don't need to raise your hands, but, but I, I believe you because, because I've been there. I know that. We, we, there's times when you just feel like a complete failure. You know, we, we may be, outstanding members of, a, of the community, but since, you know, an emptiness in our lives that possessions and, and position cannot fill, you know, it, it, I don't think that there's any coincidence that some of the richest people in the world have died the most unhappiest people in the world. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a coincidence in that. I, I, I just, possessions and position can't fill that empty void that, that only Jesus can fill. You know, we, we may find ourselves in a, a physical condition or in a, a marriage relationship that seems impossible to change. I don't know what your situation is, but I do know the one who knows what your situation is, and I do know that he is the one who can change your situation at any time if you allow him. The good news is Jesus can change us no matter what our life situation is. Amen? Absolutely. He can give us peace and, and hope and joy in, in the most desperate circumstances. But we need a life-changing moment of divine encounter with Jesus, similar to what was experienced by Bartimaeus and, and his blind friend, Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the, the wee little man with the big heart? And today, we will discover how Jesus changed the life of one more person. And that man, his name is Nicodemus. And his story is told briefly in John chapter 3, and it begins when Nicodemus is overcome by this, this absolute compelling curiosity. But let's turn, and I'm going to read this for you if you don't mind. I'm going to read from the NIV. This is the 1984 version. So actually, and to be honest with you, the, the Bibles that are in your pews there, that's the same version here. It may be different on the screen here because if I can remember right, Chrissy, isn't it, that the, the 1984 version isn't any of those, which I think is a shame. 
So I'll try to read it from off here. Now there was a, a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform, could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He tells us that you, you can't see the, there's no way in the world you're going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That's a, that's a good response. I mean, you know, that this whole, this whole thing about being born again, that's kind of foreign to them. And, and so what a good response. And Jesus answered very, very truly, I, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You, you, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? He says, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But, but still, you, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He goes on to say, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then here he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Have eternal life. Wow. What a great passage of scripture. You know, just like Zacchaeus, if you remember last week when we talked about Zacchaeus, Nicodemus also had this, this very compelling curiosity about Jesus. The Bible tells a simple story. You know, John begins, John, John chapter three begins with these words. And I'm, 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 I'm saying this from the New Living Translation from John 3 verses 1 and part, part of verse 2. He says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish re- religious leader who was a Pharisee. And it says, after dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. He came after dark. Jesus won no favor from the Pharisees. The Pharisees hated him. And he won no favor with them, especially if you look at the chapter before when he's in the temple and he flips the tables in the, in the, in the temple and says, you know, you do not make my father's house a den of thieves. And when he did that, he did not help himself at all with the Pharisees. So, so as a, a Pharisee and a member of the, of the Jewish high council, Nicodemus didn't want his colleagues finding out about his consultation with Jesus. He just, he just didn't want them to know. You know, they wouldn't understand. I'm sure he's thinking. So, so Nicodemus, what he does is he sneaks around at night. 
He comes at night. You know, as, as the shadows darken the city, he steps out, he slips unseen through the, the, the cobbled winding streets and he arrives at the door of this simple little house where Jesus is and where his followers are staying. But he doesn't want anybody else to see where he's going. So I wonder what might compel a man like Nicodemus to sneak through the darkened alleys just to meet a carpenter from Nazareth. You know, Nicodemus was a devoutly religious man. He's a holy man who leads holy men. You know, his his name appears on the elite list of the of the Torah scholars. You know, he's dedicated his life to the law and he occupies one of the 71 seats of the of the Judean Supreme Court. There were 71 seats in there and he got to he got to occupy one of them. He had clout he had credentials, yet something, something keeps nagging him about Jesus. And for some reason, his religion doesn't satisfy himself. And he, he knows there, there has to be more to this. But then he hears about Jesus, this, this carpenter, turned preacher who lacks diplomas, yet somehow or another he attracts people, who has ample time for the happy hour crowd, but little time for clergy in the upper crust. He, he, he banishes demons. Some say that he even forgives sins. Others claim that he performs miracles. And, and, and Nicodemus, Nicodemus has no doubt about who Jesus is. The first thing that Nicodemus says when he meets Christ face to face, notice what he says there in, 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 in chapter three, verse two. He says, he says, if for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if, if God were not with him. So Nicodemus sees this. Nicodemus hoped that Jesus could answer his questions. You know, what he didn't realize is that Jesus was the answer to his questions. Jesus was that answer. So after a a lifetime of religion, what Nicodemus needed more than anything else was a relationship. Not any more religion. He needed a relationship. Not, but not just, not just any relationship, but a relationship with God, the God of all creation and the Savior of the world. That's what he needed. You know, it was one Sunday morning, this young man shared a church pew with this beautiful brown eyed girl, mesmerized by her her beauty, his attention was clearly focused on her rather than on the minister's message. Do we have anyone in here doing that right now? (laughs) In the stillness of the sanctuary, he leafed through the hymnal until he found the song he was looking for. Thinking himself cute and clever, he placed the songbook in the young lady's lap and he pointed to the hymn entitled, 
I need thee every hour, is what it said. And so she smiled a little and she started flipping the pages until she found the appropriate song, the, the appropriate response, and settling on the page and returning the hymnal and, and to his lap, she pointed to the title and she, it said, I'd rather have Jesus. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, folks. Nicodemus could learn a lot from this young lady and so could we. I'd rather have Jesus any day. You know, 10 years ago, a young man by the name of Jefferson Bethke dominated YouTube with this viral video. The video is entitled, Why I Hate Religion, But I Love Jesus. In, in this spoken word poem, he contrasts the futility of religion to his faith in Jesus. I'm going to have Christy, she's going to play it if we can. And I just want you to listen to what he has to say. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he said, but I think that Jefferson really cuts to the heart of the problem for Nicodemus and for countless others like him. You know, at the very beginning there, you saw where it says, it says Jesus is greater than, that, that greater than sign, Jesus is greater than religion. And he says, if, if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. We should be an ocean of grace not a a den of legalism. And then I like what he said there. He said, religion says do, Jesus says done. Wow. Dry, dead religion doesn't satisfy and it doesn't save. Rituals, routines, and rules will never change your heart and life apart from Jesus Christ. I think that, that that's why Nicodemus sought Jesus out. I think that, that Nicodemus knew that there was something missing. And he knew something was, was amiss in his life and, and he knew it had to do something with Jesus. But as Nicodemus' story continues he experiences a rather confusing conversation. If, as we read through that, you remember, you know, he, he asked some questions. Notice there in verse 3 of chapter 3, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, this, this is the continental divide of Scripture. Nicodemus stands on one side and Jesus is on the other, and Christ pulls no punches about the difference. Nicodemus inhabits a land of good efforts and sincere gestures and, and hard work. You know, in, in Jewish minds, you, you, you have to earn your way into the, uh, into heaven's halls and through heaven's doors. But according to Jesus, your work, your works don't work. You know, Jesus makes no mention of, of Nicodemus' VIP status, his good intentions, or his academic credentials, because in Jesus' algorithm, those things don't matter. No matter what pedigree or position, he says, you must be born again. Nicodemus speaks for the, the rest of us when he exclaims, he says, Jesus, what do you mean? You know, and, and 
John chapter 3, verse 4 there from the New Living Translation, he says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? It was not making sense to him. You know, Nicodemus reminds me of the, of the Chevy salesmen of the 1970s. How many of you like Chevys? Okay, put your hands down. <laughs> well, the, the Chevy Nova, which Sarah and I owned a Chevy Nova at one time, it was not the older Chevy Nova, it was the newer Chevy Nova, which was a little four-cylinder that you had to, to pedal, you know, it was, you know, but, but, but we owned one of those. You remember those, those little Chevy Novas that they came out with? Um, it's just a, probably back in the early 80s. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't. But anyway, so, so the, the Chevy Nova was a relatively successful American car for many years. My, my uncle owned one and, and it was really nice and they could really soup them up to look pretty nice. But encouraged by U.S. sales, what Chevrolet did is they began to market the, the Chevy Nova throughout the world. Unfortunately, the Nova did not sell well in Mexico and other Latin countries, Latin American countries. You know, additional ads were ordered, uh, marketing efforts were stepped up, but sales remained stagnant. You know, sales directors were just absolutely baffled by this. They could not figure out, why in the world is this car not selling in South America? When they discovered the answer, the answer was rather embarrassing to them. Because you see, the, the, the word Nova in Spanish means what? No go. <laughs> no go. So the, the American salesman and, and the, the, the Mexican consumers were, they just weren't speaking the same language. Absolutely not. And you know what? This was the same thing with Nicodemus and Jesus. They just weren't speaking the same language. Nicodemus thought in terms of physical birth, but Jesus was thinking of the spiritual. And he explains in chapter, chapter three, verses six and seven, six through eight through the, the new century version, he says, human life comes from parents, but spiritual life comes from the spirit. Don't be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it come, the wind comes from or where it's going. You know, it, it is the same with, with every person who is born from the Spirit. You know, just as, as we can't see or touch the wind, we cannot see or touch the Holy Spirit. But you can feel both. You can feel the, you can feel the wind every time you walk through those doors because it always seems to be blowing right in this parking lot here. And so it'll blow your hair back. It'll, 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 it'll do whatever it needs to do. But it, but you can feel that wind. And, and, and it's the same with the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted Nicodemus to understand that, that true religion isn't just about rules and rituals. It's something invisible and intangible that happens inside of you. That's what it does. Still not quite getting the picture. Nicodemus asked this in, in John chapter three, verse nine. He says, how are these things possible? How can this be? From the NIV, it says. How can this be? And Jesus answers by leading, by actually leading him to the, to what I call the hope diamond of the Bible. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There it is. There it is. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet laced with enough love and hope to last us a lifetime. It's one of the first verses that we ever memorized as a kid. And I, I have it memorized in two different versions, the NIV and the, and the King James. So I'm using a little bit of both every time I, every time I say that. But it's there. Religion says, God loves you if. And then Jesus announces, for God so loved the world. God loves us. God loves you. And when you put your your faith and your trust in Jesus, not in any kind of religions or, or systems or creeds, but just in Jesus... We are spiritually born again into God's eternal family. You know, His Spirit moves into our hearts and we, we get to live with Him forever. You know, and our Bible study, we talked about that a little bit. You know, it's, it's through the occasion of your baptism, through the watery graves of baptism, that we receive that Spirit, that gift that God gives us. As Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and to receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift to us. His Spirit moves into our hearts, and, and we get to live with Him forever. And, and this is God's prescription for sin, and it's His prescription for self-reliance. And as things turned out, Nicodemus accepted what Jesus had to say. Nicodemus' story ends with a courageous conversion. You know, if you think about it, surprisingly, John doesn't reveal the conclusion of Nicodemus' conversion with Christ. You know, there, there's no baptism at the end, no, no confession of faith. Rather, John just leaves us kind of hanging. You know, Jesus has the last word, and that's the last we see of Nicodemus. That is, until Jesus was crucified. Sixteen chapters later, John writes this. Listen to what he said. He says, later, Joseph of Aramea, Arimathaeus, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by who? By Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was the, in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the, at the place where Jesus was crucified, it says there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. It's interesting. 
for 16 chapters, we're left wondering whatever happened to Nicodemus. You know, what, 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 did, what did he do with Jesus? You know, how did his divine encounter with Christ change him? You know, then, then Christ is crucified, and all of a sudden, Nicodemus shows up along with Joseph, another Pharisee turned Christ follower, and together they approached the governor and they, they made the request. They, they made the request. They wanted to, they wanted to oversee Jesus' burial. You know, this, this was no small gesture, you know, given the, the anti-Jesus climate of the day. Jesus' disciples had hidden behind locked doors, but, but Nicodemus and Joseph, they, they were, they were out there getting his body down to prepare it for burial. No more sneaking through the darkened alleyways at night for him. You know, somewhere behind the scenes of the last 16 chapters, Nicodemus finally grasped what Jesus taught him that, that, that fateful night, and he listened and he obeyed. And he decided to step out of the shadows and into the light. It, it no longer mattered what his colleagues thought or what they might try to do to him. Things were going to be different from here on out. Nothing would ever be the same, at least for Nicodemus it wasn't going to be. Do you think those Pharisees saw that? You better believe they saw it. All because of a late night moment of divine encounter with Jesus Christ. And I believe that it changed him. And I want to ask you a question. Can you relate to Nicodemus? Maybe you were raised in a religious family and you've gone to church all your life. Perhaps you read your Bible on a daily basis. You say your prayers regularly and and you fulfill all the religious requirements asked of you. And yet, if you still feel empty, what's missing? Remember, guys, this whole thing is not about religion. What you do up here around the Lord's table, it's not about religion. It's about a man. It's about a relationship. And if you don't get that, you're missing the whole boat. What you need, what we all need, is an authentic divine encounter with the man named Jesus Christ. That's what we need. Jesus can change us no matter what our life situation might be. You know, he can, he can give us peace and he can give us hope and he can give us joy in the most desperate circumstances. But we need a life-changing divine encounter with him, whether it's for the first time or to renew an old relationship. The good news is that he's waiting to meet us. Or if, even if it's around the corner, he's waiting or in a coffee shop or as we cruise along the freeway, or if you're sitting on your tractor mowing your grass. <laughs> but be prepared. You may come away from that encounter like Nicodemus did with your life completely transformed. That's the prayer. And so this morning as our worship team heads back up, 
I want to invite you to come to Christ. If you need to have a personal encounter with Jesus, he stands ready to meet you, to greet you, to change you. If you haven't been born again, you can do that here today. You know, if, if you're ready for a, a life-changing encounter with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come this morning as we stand and we're going to close.